1: You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have long to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by
0: Jake Devereaux. It's gone, it's And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a Grand Slam! I'm telling
1: you, it's time to party!
0: Welcome to episode number 270 of the Red Seat Podcast. I am your host for this week, Bob Osgood, and I am joined by Jake Devereaux. Jake, what's going on? How's your spring training going so far?
1: Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, I'm, I'm ramping up slowly right now. Um, I'm, I'm still working on my, my 12 ounce curls. Um, that's the big thing on today's uh, agenda. So yeah. And, and also I'm in an unfamiliar seat. I'm not hosting today. So it's, uh, I'm switching up my roles too. I'm trying to add some versatility to my repertoire.
0: Absolutely. That's the story of the Red Sox at this point. You got to be able to fill multiple roles and, uh, we called in the right-hander today, so I'm ready to go. Um, you know, I, you know, same thing. Kind of getting back into spring training, mixing in some college basketball. Watched my uh, UNH Wildcats go down in the America East semifinals tonight. So that'll be a lifetime of me never being able to see my uh, alma mater in the NCAA tournament. I've come to accept that, but uh, the expectations ha- were low as always.
1: It'll happen if you live long enough.
0: It's true, and I will be there, storming the court. At 75 years old when it happens. <laughs> All right. Um, we have a solid show ahead. We're going to talk about the state of the rotation, you know, good and bad. We're going to talk about the lineup a little bit and some things that have have changed and who our leadoff hitter could be in Boston and uh, some other news and notes from the last uh two weeks since we last podcasted uh you can follow me on twitter at bobosgood15 you can follow jake at dev jake and we have the email address RedSeatPodcast seat podcast at gmail.com that we got a good question for uh to that email today so we want to start off talking just about kind of uh you know spring training and uh jake we, what you, for you has been the most interesting development uh in your mind so far during spring training to date
1: well you know there hasn't been a ton um of of very interesting things on the hitter side for me you know i've been watching as much uh yoshida as i can before he heads off to wbc um but other than that like there hasn't been a lot of excitement really the the most exciting thing for me and the most interesting development has been chris sale being fully healthy again um we all know what type of pitcher uh chris sale can be when he is healthy and um you know, seeing him toss two innings, throwing 96, and really working quickly, and you know, working in his different pitches, and you know, we know we we know that he has three above-average offerings when he's right. Um, that was pretty big, um, and and I think that Chris Sale, just the way that he is speaking in interviews, um, seems more confident, seems more optimistic this year as well, um, and I think he's just jonesing to have a normal season and I and I feel like you know I, I just keep getting tricked because I have gone all in on sale coming back and being full strength the last couple of years but um and I even picked him to be the best pitcher on the team last year um but I really do think like there's only so much that can happen in one guy so I I have a feeling that he's going to have a really big year and I I think we're seeing the start of that right now and that can be transformative. We all know that the the top of the line ace is the most important thing in baseball. Really, I mean, that's the the most premium position. Um, so, I, I think it can be a real game changer to the rest of the rotation and um, really help this team win some games. And you know, thinking about the ace too, it's not just like yeah, obviously you can have a guy who goes out and gives you a chance to win twenty ball games, but you know it's also the mental side of things knowing that hitters can have that day where they don't have to score a ton of runs when when he's on the mound or that stopper during a long uh losing streak you know all those different things that having an ace on the mound really provides so i think it's going to be a huge lift for the club if he ends up really being himself
0: yeah, it was wild to see him um walking off the mound with a big smile on his face yesterday it was very un sale like in the typical competitive um, atmosphere from sale, and I'm sure we won't see that in the regular season. But it was good to just kind of see him out there having fun. He talked in the post game about being trying to be more relaxed, um, and you talked about the, the the mental capacity with with him. I mean, you went through a ton. You get hit with a comebacker, and that's got to be somewhere in the back of your head subconsciously. Um, And having all the other things and then coming off of Tommy John. And as we talked about a couple of times on this show, when he's been out there since having Tommy John, his ERA is 3.16, you know, in just 50 innings, but had a a really good postseason outside of the Tampa Bay uh, outing, but he had a good postseason appearance after that. So it's there. We've seen it. We've seen it in the last two years when he's been on the mound. It's just a matter of him being on the mound, which I'm still obviously not fully confident about. And of course, we should all have our doubts since he hasn't pitched a full season since really 2018. He kind of broke down late in the 2019 season and the writing was on the wall shortly after that, but it's there. He's only 33, soon to be 34. Right? And we've seen some of these other pitchers that pitch into their late 30s we saw what Justin Verlander did last year even though I don't think he's quite got the 200 inning arm still in him so um, absolutely I think that's a great call Um, just we need to see an ace and he is the one with the the ace upside that has been presented before yeah definitely Um, my uh, takeaway most interesting development so far has been just the lack of urgency with the pitching staff to have anybody prepared for opening day. And I keep looking at the calendar and thinking like, they realize that it's three weeks from now that they have to have five pitchers ready to be in an opening day rotation. And I'm not sure that uh, everyone is aware of that because as we know with James Paxton, who's had a similar injury history the last four years as sale, he's already out with a hamstring injury. We've got Brian Bayo who is limited to throwing bullpens and not really letting loose with his breaking stuff yet, and um, Garrett Whitlock, who could not participate in pitcher fielding practice until Monday, and he finally faced live hitters today, on Tuesday. Um, You know, Nick Pavetta coming back from COVID, and it's just, we talked about in the last episode, there's seven pitchers. Is there seven? Is there two? Is there somewhere in between? Um, and it's just the lack of urgency when I read the news and notes every day. You know, this person's throwing another bullpen or they're still kind of holding them back. They're not going to face hitters yet. And then you realize that it's three, four stars that all have that at the same time. So it's just, I can't tell whether they realize that there, there are real games that are being played Three weeks from Thursday.
1: Yeah. Um, I get what you're saying. And, um, you know, last time we came on here and we were talking about this issue, I think it was Keaton who said, like, they've got maybe it was five or six, I can't remember the number he said, starting pitchers who are, like, essentially not healthy. Um, and we got some flack for, from that, from our, uh, our listeners in, in the comments section, like saying that we were being negative, but like, really, were we being negative? Cause like when I'm looking at this right now, Chris sale, who hasn't pitched, as you said, for a long time, uh, healthy is projected to be healthy for opening day. As is Corey Kluber, who, you know, famously uh, pitched his most innings in several years last year. Um, And then Pavetta, dealing with the COVID stuff, looks like a shell of himself right now. Tanner Houck couldn't find the zone coming off of his back surgery. I mean, he did a little bit better today. but And then you you mentioned the other two guys projected the opening season on the I.L., Paxton and Whitlock, as well as Bayo. I gotta say, I think we were right on this. I don't think we were being negative. I think we were being realistic. And unfortunately, like that's just it, you know. Looking at the rotation, you can you can definitely project Sale and Kluber to be there, and I think Pavetta will be there as well. Um, Cutter Crawford is going to have to step into that role, um, and he seems ready to do so. He looked good in his three-inning stint the other day. Um, but, yeah, I, 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 I don't necessarily have a problem with the way that they're working these guys in because, like I said last week, I think these pitchers – because they all have something that they're dealing with, are going to trickle into the rotation, and I'd rather them do that in a way that's right and correct for their timeline than have like the best possible uh, starting five to start the year, and and especially because the Red Sox schedule uh, opens up with like a pretty soft landing. You know, it's a pretty pretty weak schedule for the first yep. month or so of the season. I think it's okay to have your Cutter Crawfords in there, and like, you know, maybe a Nick Pavetta that's like not quite full strength. You know, that's that's okay for then. I wouldn't mind seeing a little bit of uh, Josh Winkowski in there, but um, you know, when when the games start to really matter um, and the weather heats up and hitters start to to get that advantage again, um, I think you're going to want to have all your guys healthy. So as long as they're being smart with these guys, I don't have a problem with it.
0: Yeah, and and I am by no means implying that they should be reckless or rushing any of these guys back. However, continuing to say that that they are hopeful for opening day, we're expecting to have this guy back for opening day. I don't believe any of that. There's just simply not enough time um, for the majority of these pitchers to be back for opening day. So, Jake, you know, if you had to say the following five pitchers are going to pitch the first five games of the year um, in no particular order, what would be your list? It would be Sale.
1: Kluber, Pavetta, Crawford, and Winkowski. Okay. I honestly think Hauk, having not looked quite as sharp as I want him to look, is going to open out of the bullpen. And I wouldn't be shocked if he stays in the bullpen.
0: No, it wouldn't be shocking at all. Um, I think they're doing the right thing seeing what they have, um, but... You know, I think he gave up two runs in three innings again today, so he's been he has probably three more opportunities to show and kind of get a little more length for five innings. Um, and maybe that's something that they do temporarily, but I could see what what you're saying there as well. My, uh, I went with Sale, Kluber, Pavetta, Houck, and Crawford, um, which I think is probably what will happen, but I wrote on Monday uh, on the Over the Monster site about Brandon Walter a little bit. And he's kind of my dark horse in that I I think that he will, it's more likely that he'll pitch out of the bullpen this year, but it also wouldn't shock me if he continues to just kind of roll through and get built up to four or five innings and maybe make a couple of starts, whether that's early in the season or midway through the season. But um, his strikeout-to-walk ratio are crazy. I mean, in the 50 double A innings he threw last year, he had 3 walks and 68 Ks. And there's just something to be said for pounding the strike zone and he has pitched well, albeit mostly against minor leaguers in his relief outings, but he's, you know, I think he threw in the middle innings the other day. Um, it wouldn't shock me if Walter got some run this year now that he's 26. You know, he had two outings at triple A, but it was right before he had a, a bulging disc in his back that ended his season. Um, so I think it's kind of hard with those being his only two outings. And then he missed the rest of the year to look at those. He was so good in Double A and did the same thing in A ball the year before. You know, obviously, the age is he, he should he be dominating? Yes, but once you get to Double A at 25, you know he missed a year during the COVID season um, and he was a college pitcher. So you know, the prospect growth isn't linear. And uh, as a 26 year old, I think that they might be willing to give him some run. So that's kind of my dark horse starter this year.
1: Yeah, I could definitely see that. Um, I love Brandon Walter, and I loved what I saw from him last year, I get to see one of his better starts of the season in Portland. And, um, you know, I really think that like, when I'm projecting out starting pitcher depth and I'm looking down at the, the possible names that could fill in, I think Walter is definitely going to be called up ahead of guys like Mata or Chris Murphy. Um, and so as long as they are dealing with injuries like this, I think, you know, Winkowski has probably the leg up on him just because he has the major league innings. But I, I actually think that, you know, if you're looking for ceiling and impact, Walter has a, a higher ceiling and impact than Josh Winkowski. And I think it's kind of arguable whether or not he has a higher ceiling even than Cutter Crawford at this point. So um, it it wouldn't shock me if he got a lot of run this year. And it wouldn't shock me if he opens up next year as like a fourth or fifth starter for this team. Um, that's kind of how, how much I think of him. Um, when I was writing my relief pitcher preview, I didn't even include him as a possible lefty out of the pen because i just think he's too damn valuable uh, starting pitching depth uh he really has a starter's repertoire so i i I truly believe in in walter as well and as long as he can stay healthy yeah that's a a great option to have
0: yeah i agree with you there um i do think if they have five healthy starters that i would still rather he be um in boston as as a relief arm at least at some point uh rather than having him at triple a but there there are a lot of arms I know your, your boy, Ryan Brazier, um, still around, and there's an exciting article that came out in The Athletic today about Ryan Brazier and how his uh, what his ERA and expected ERA weren't the same and what they saw in September, and uh, we'll see whether that works out. Maybe Brandon Walter slides into back end of the
1: bullpen if there isn't a rotation spot for him this year. Did you catch um, TC on the broadcast asking um... – Verdugo, who has the worst style on the team, and him just absolutely going to town on the uh, choices, the wardrobe choices that Ryan Brazier makes. I did not. It was wonderful. Just like, (laughs) no matter the occasion, he says he dresses in like a crappy polo shirt, uh, shorts, and flip-flops, which is just... That's exactly how I think Ryan Brazier would roll up to any occasion. Like, (laughs) it could be golden corral it could be a funeral it could be anything and i'm convinced ryan brazier rolls up in the same thing
0: <laughs> you don't think alex verdugo rolls up in the i
1: i think verdugo has got some real flair i i, I think he, sometimes he takes it a little too far like i, I think sometimes he wears a full sombrero to like Seven Eleven. okay and stuff like that but you know I think he knows how to look good on a Friday night.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I'm going to have to seek out this clip because I would love to see that. Well That's good. It's worth your time. All right. Um, we do have an email question that we wanted to get to fairly early in the show. Uh, it's from Mark. He says, hey, guys, love the pod. I'm still very curious to see what this lineup is going to look like, especially now that Cora has said he's going to separate Yoshi and Devers. The big, uh, or the big question being who leads off? Does Verdugo lead off against right-handed pitching? Or do you think they'll avoid three out of four lefties at the top? I'm wondering what you guys think. Thanks. Um, Jake, we had talked a couple weeks back about that, um, about the possible lineup, but some things have kind of changed. Some quotes have come out uh, since that time. So what do you think? Do you think Verdugo could be an option to lead off? And where do you, I guess kind of specifically with the left-handers, is, um, the left-handed hitters more being the question,
1: where do you think they'll slot in? um in the lineup this year well core has also been vocal about the fact that he doesn't mind going lefty lefty um in this lineup he he had some quote about like how many more right-handed pitchers they are and i think he's got a point i mean in especially with the fact that teams are going to be limited to 13 pitchers and you know all these new rules about how many batter uh batters a pitcher has to face and stuff like that i think it's less risky to stack lefties, so I do think a lefty will lead off. And the real question to me is whether that's going to be Verdugo or Casas, or if they go for a righty, I think it could be Kike in some circumstances. But I think those are really the only three options in my mind. Um, If I had to put money on it, I think that the team, if they're happy with the way Verdugo is swinging the bat, I think he makes the most sense, especially considering that they – Intend to hit Yoshida in the four spot, it seems. Um, They've been impressed with his power. That's where he's kind of hit in Japan with the Oryx Buffaloes. And I don't know how fair it is to a guy like Casas, who's kind of new to this, to to be in that spot. And he's a bit of a lumbering oaf, too. I mean, he came in in better shape, too. So I'm not like, I'm not ragging on the dude, but he's still a first baseman, you know, Mm -hmm. like baseball purists would kind of balk at the idea of a 6'5 first baseman being your leadoff guy. It's not exactly speed on the base path. So when I think of it, 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 it makes sense that it's Verdugo. Um, so I think they will go lefty-lefty, and I would bet on Verdugo getting the the most run there at this point. I think
0: you make a good point about the new rules and and just kind of how overblown – Going two consecutive lefties is in the lineup at this point because if you bring in a lefty um, I guess if there was one out and they were only facing two hitters that they would face two straight lefties but if they have to face three hitters then it's lefty lefty righty as opposed to lefty righty lefty what's the difference right Um, especially when you have guys that aren't striking out a ton people that put the ball in play and uh, if Yoshida is part of that in a three out of four at the top if he's striking out you know, 10% of the time or something ridiculous, uh, because of his back control, then who really cares? And I, I don't think that we worry about Devers facing left-handers.
1: Um, so one, one more thing on that though. Yeah. Just, um, to, to add to the, the Alex Verdugo stuff, you know, he's a guy who hasn't really had drastic platoon splits in his career. Um, whereas Casas has, at least to this point. So I think that that's another thing that really plays in his favor. Like, I don't really care about the lefty-righty thing if you can hit both lefties and righties. But if if you've shown a, a true platoon split, that's when you have to start to think about, like, yeah, if we're facing a, a lefty or if a lefty is going to come in, like, is that going to screw things up? And, and with Verdugo, I don't think it is.
0: I agree. I think the three lefties that I'm referencing are Verdugo, uh, Devers, and Yoshida, and I think that they all could handle that. Um, totally, yeah. I, I, I agree with with Cassis not being in that mix, and he, both of his home runs are off lefties in the spring, you know, even though they're minor league lefties, I think. Yeah. Um, so he could get to that point, but he needs to show that. Um, right. And I, I think that against a left-hander, I could see Enrique Hernandez at the top. Uh, the more I've looked at this, especially if um, Yoshida not leading off. I think just Devers in the two-hole. I think this era of kind of hitting your best hitter there second um, makes a lot of sense. So I'm kind of starting to get sold on that idea. Um, you know, changing my tune a little bit from our podcast about a month ago when I was going through it in my head. But you know, I I think that there was something to that with Yoshida not feeling comfortable leading off, and then all of a sudden. I don't know what Cora's exact quote but almost like he, you know, wished he hadn't said some uh it a certain way um or that his quote might have been wrong and then it was like oh, they're backing off on Yoshida leading off and maybe he'll hit fourth. He doesn't really seem we'll see if he's a you know has enough power to be the traditional cleanup hitter but um
1: you know 30 home run season incoming from Yoshida <laughs> Here we go. Thirty home runs, hundred and twenty ribbies. You know? Yeah, there you go. There it is. Yeah. What um, everybody expected.
0: Exactly, and in terms of a <laughs> of a name that was going to be able to provide some sort of insurance behind these uh, lefties in some sort of order, uh, Justin Turner hit in the face with a pitch on Monday, which was one of the scarier scenes that um, you know you can really ever see. I mean, we, I talked at the beginning about. Sale needing to overcome getting hit with a line drive. Imagine getting hit in the face uh, with a pitch. Um, It's from uh, Manning on Detroit the other day. He was evaluated for a concussion, and it sounded like he ended up uh, very lucky with 16 stitches and no fractures um, and is in, you know, sitting comfortably uh, in the hospital at this point. So it sounds like he avoided a catastrophe, which is good. Um, Obviously, you know, ugly scene, Jake, but seems like uh, Turner, while we don't know how long he'll be out and who knows how that will affect him mentally when he gets back into the box, um, you know, would, did you have any thoughts kind of on that and possible trickle down at first base, you know, if he is not available for opening day?
1: Yeah, I have a couple thoughts on this. I mean, I, I just wonder how it will impact him um, when he does come back and whether or not he'll be wearing a C-flap when he does come back. I'd expect he probably will. Um, and then you know whether or not that impacts him. I think we saw it impact Giancarlo Stanton for a while. So you know there's there's not too much more uh, runway left in in Justin Turner's career. So you hope that he can bounce back from this and it not be a mental hurdle um, for him, and he can still have a good year. But the person I think that benefits from this and it's kind of dark to say anybody benefits from this, uh, you know, know, best wishes to Turner. I hope he recovers soon, but Bobby Dahlbeck is really the guy I think of um, who's going to benefit from this situation in these added at-bats because that's been the guy that when roster projections have been coming out, nobody can find room for Bobby Dahlbeck on this team. And the fact that he can play the corners like Turner can, and the fact that he, you know, can hit um, a little bit at least against you know righties. Um, that's that's good for him. So um, we'll we'll see if if that leads to Bobby Dahlbeck playing time, but I think it can.
0: Yeah, I, I I think that that is probably the answer. I think the other name that at least has played some first base is is Yu Chang as a backup to that. If something happened to either uh, Cassis or Dahlbeck in addition to Turner, you know, they, they do have, they don't have a whole lot of depth, if any, in the minor leagues, uh, in the high minors. Um, You know, it's not like uh, Nico Cavadas is knocking down the door just yet. Um, But I do think they have depth uh, with major league experience between uh, Cassis and Dahlbeck and Chang um, and Turner. So that's one area that I think that it isn't a killer. If they had an injury in the middle infield after everything that we've seen, then they might be in trouble.
1: Yeah. I think I should correct my narrative a little bit here. I uh, accidentally said Bobby Dahlbeck can hit righties. I meant that he can hit lefties, but I think that that could factor in with Casas as well. Like you were saying, you know, Casas, we know can hit righties and um, Dahlbeck being able to crush lefties and has shown that consistently, you know, that could be a good little platoon to work in a little bit.
0: Yeah, and, and Dahlbeck, you know, we've seen it before, but he's uh, entering play on Tuesday 6-for-17 um, with six runs and one home run. Um, so he has been – said that he's been trying to make some adjustments in the offseason, which, of course, he should. Um, and a couple of weeks ago, looking up kind of – What I had written, but to your point about left-handers, he has a two hundred or two sixty-eight career average against lefties, and that was just two forty in twenty twenty-two, but two sixty-eight in his career, Um, and it's even better um, at uh, at home. So he's hit two ninety-two in his career at home against lefties, and that's in eighty-three games. So I know that's getting very like granular, um, but. I don't think that that's a bad fallback and i think if he is in a pretty good groove in spring training that there's a uh, you know a possibility that that he could be i mean we saw it we saw it late in the year it's it's there somewhere late in the year in 2021 um so i'm not ruling out a bobby dolbeck resurgence although i would certainly not predict it by any means
1: no ryan's ryan fitzgerald love for this roster
0: He kind of, he, I'm trying to remember. It was a great start to the season. Good spring last year, right? And then I think mm-hmm. it kind of fell apart a little bit.
1: What What do you think? Nah, I don't think it's a possibility. But yeah. you know, it's always uh, it's always fun to see him just hit tanks in spring training. He is um, he's about as good as it gets in spring training.
0: Yes, <laughs> there's there's a few of those guys. Absolutely. <laughs>
1: Well, let me throw one more dark horse name at you though. Um, yeah. A- and Manuel Valdez has looked pretty good. Pretty um, good. Definitely looks hitterish, um, and there there have been some comments about how his his setup and his load kind of looks a little Soto like. Um, I'm not going to make that comparison. I think it's silly. Um, but thank you. I did see him hit a tank uh, in. In the spring and I thought to myself this guy does look like he can hit a little bit so it's there he's not the best fielder but he is versatile he can fake it at second and third probably fake it in left I don't hate the idea of him on the roster instead of Dalbeck
0: no and he has uh, six walks to five strikeouts so a little bit of plate discipline in the early goings um, you're right he, he is fun to watch hit and, and that that swing, um, the load up everything, uh, he just looks like a hitter. So maybe he's a year away, um, but I definitely like have liked what I've seen there. And there is there easily could be an emergency situation at second base with what we've already seen with Mondesi out and you know just the trickle down of who would move around when Mondesi is back with Story. And with Christian Arroyo, and as much as we like Christian Arroyo around here, until we see him out there for six full months, you know, believe it when I see it. So I think we could even see him at second base, um, you know, in the first half of the season, depending on when, if and when Trevor Story comes back this year. So I wouldn't rule him out at first. I wouldn't rule him out at second. um, And I think that he's definitely one of the, the few to keep an eye on on the hitter side of things for the rest of spring training. It's a good call.
1: Definitely. You know what I find myself doing in the spring, though, when I'm watching these games is because I've been deprived of baseball for for so long. I'm focusing on the littlest stuff, man. <laughs> like, I'll be watching how a guy like looks at balls in the zone. And like, I, I don't know, I, I was just impressed by everything I saw from Manuel Valdez. He was just he was spitting on pitches out of the zone. Just looked real mean in the box. Yeah, I, I don't know. it's just like
0: confidence it. there.
1: Yeah, he's confident. He's very confident.
0: Yep, absolutely. Um, Another confident hitter, uh, Jorge Alfaro, we've talked about a little bit. Connor Wong is a hamstring injury, questionable for opening day. And uh, I know Alfaro is leaving to go to the World Baseball Classic, but he has been on fire um, before he's heading out. Um, 7 for 10 so far in uh, spring training and hit really well in the winter leagues that we were referencing some highlights from does have a two million dollar bonus if he makes the opening day roster which actually uh, Raimel Tapia has as well and uh, according to at Red Sox payroll on Twitter uh, current projections have the Red Sox at uh, 7 to 8 million below the CBT line they're currently at approximately two twenty-five and a half million. and so the thing there, as we we've talked about Tapia, we've talked about Alfaro, and Tapia has a um, you know can elect to become a free agent if he's not on the opening day roster, whereas Alfaro has, I think, can opt out on maybe June first, but I think Tapia's is earlier. Um, I don't know, Jake. It seems like both of these guys on paper could break camp, and maybe a better chance of that happening with the Connor Wong injury. Do you see one or both of these? Uh, on
1: the opening day roster I think both of them will be honestly Um, you know when I think about that last outfield spot it's kind of between Tapia and Duran um, and I like Tapia for that position Uh, at this point I just think he's more ready and I know that Duran has changed his swing yet again Um, I'd like to see him have you know more success with that swing and then kind of come up later if he needs to Um, But but Tapia, you know, he did a lot of damage against the Red Sox last year. Um, I think he's a pretty good hitter. I think he fits more in that role. Um, And when it comes to Alfaro, uh, even if Wong was healthy, I liked Alfaro for that second spot. And I like the idea of Wong uh, starting in AAA because I want to preserve as much of that depth as as possible. Um, So... Yeah, I'm I'm hoping that both of these guys break camp with the team, uh, and and I'm especially bullish on Alfaro's role with this team, even in a uh, you know a, a short side of the platoon role.
0: Yeah, and I I kind of struggle with this. I I feel like if if Connor Wong is back and he's ready for opening day, that Alfaro that they're just going to add some flexibility both with the payroll and buying more time to make a decision on him. But I think if, I mean, if Connor Wong is not, I think it's an obvious move. And the only thing about that, when I saw that both of them had a $2 million bump and that brings it closer to 3 million under the CBT. And then we know that they're going to stay below that with this roster, unless something wild happens and they feel the need to go all in, which I'm not predicting. So that is my only kind of hesitation. There is that if they get within three million, then they don't really have any any wiggle room. Um, you know, any trades that you make at the deadline, you'd have to what send a prospect back and have the other team, you know, eat the the money on their side uh, to not reach that. So you know, you can play some games with it, but I think adding that four million was something that I saw today that I wasn't aware of. Otherwise, I would have said you know, it was pretty much a no brainer for both of them.
1: I like the joke you just made there, Bob. Unintentional, too. Did I? Heim Bloom making impactful moves at the deadline. That's funny. <laughs> that is funny.
0: Kyle yeah, Schwarber. I wouldn't.
1: I wouldn't sweat that three to four million that they're going to have after adding these two guys. They're not doing shit at the deadline. Kyle Schwarber. Uh, this is the team that they have. So, uh, if you're going to see additions, it's going to be guys like Valdez or Wong coming up. It's. You're not going to see any splashes. Yeah, Don't yeah. get excited, people. Those reinforcements. This is a Red Sox podcast. <laughs> Those you Think reinforcements this is a Rays podcast?
0: Are probably needed now, considering <laughs> what we've seen. And, um, you know, in the preseason and yesterday with Turner and with Wong and with Paxton. I mean, we couldn't even begin to try to put 26 names on paper right now and predict... A roster, you know, across my mind. Do we do we start trying to do that today? There's no way. I mean, half the team is either unknown, or significantly injured, or slightly injured, or um, you know, taking off for the World Baseball Classic, where they're going to be playing at full strength when they haven't had enough time to stretch yet. And sure, three more uh, Red Sox players will get hurt in the next two weeks while they're out there. So, uh, you know, it's really hard to even try to predict and put a roster on paper at this point with all of this unknown. I think it's as difficult as any Red Sox team that I can remember.
1: Do you think we could go down to Encore and like get them to put odds on us correctly predicting the Red Sox 26-man lineup? I, I mean, I'd be willing to find out. Yes, okay, field trip.
0: A <laughs> 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 couple more questions before we get to um, one Twitter question. Uh, Adalberto Mondesi Still limited to taking batting practice and ground balls only as he rehabs from an ACL tear. So we talked about some of the pitching unknowns at the beginning, but there is um, one more from Mondesi, and uh, you know taking bat- batting practice and ground balls is the equivalent of um, you know not doing PFPs and not facing hitters yet from the from the batter side of things and. Um, In terms of, I guess I'll kind of start, expectations for Mondesi this season. um, You know, I I think that if I had to guess how many games that he played, if I had to set like an over-under, I would put it around maybe 70. Would you take the over or the under on that, Jake?
1: It's a good number. Um, Yeah, 70 is a real good number. I'm gonna because of the proximity of like the season and sort of where he is in his rehab I think that he will be over 70 but I don't think by a lot because I'm sure something will happen to him once he's back up here um yeah let's say I'm gonna guess over and I'm gonna say slightly over I'm gonna say he ends the year with 82
0: games played. Okay. I'm going under. 15 games in 2022, 35 games in 2021. You did play the whole short season, in 59 out of 60 games, so hang on to that. 102 the season before that, 75 the season before that. So I guess if you averaged all that out, probably be in that 60 to 70 range. Um, in terms of expectations... I mean, he has run wild when he's been on the field. He had 24 steals in the short season in 59 games, which is a crazy pace. He had 43 steals the year before. And he had an average of 260 in those two seasons. So it's there, and he did it at 23 and 24 years old. So I can understand why you know there's some tantalizing upside there of somebody that uh, can hit for a decent average and play great defense and run wild. And that's not a name that we've talked about hitting leadoff because his on-base percentage and his walk rate has been absolutely atrocious for his whole career. But he could settle into a a nine spot and even be like a second leadoff type of hitter. Um, You know, if you start at nine and have Mondesi get on base and uh, Verdugo behind that and then Devers hitting third in an inning, I I can see how that would work. But I'm just not going to bet on it at Encore with you.
1: <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how many Mai ties you have um, <laughs> that might make you bet on it. Um, but, you know, to, to, to the Mondesi point, um, Chad Jennings wrote an article about watching his BP and just kind of the tantalizing raw talent that's there. And, and um, the injuries have definitely been the thing that hampers him. But this is the type of guy who really is a true five-tool guy and the type of player that if he was probably drafted in in 1980 or something if we reverse the clock he'd probably go one one with the tools that he has Um, he's just very physical he's very gifted so if he can put it all together I think it it does have the potential to be a really impactful uh, guy for this Red Sox team but you know snowball's chance in hell of uh, all those things coming together in one season. All goes back to article we talked about a couple of weeks ago that they're the
0: most volatile, the largest disparity between their, their high end projections and their low end projections that, that Chad Jennings and Eno Saris worked on. And I don't think we needed a study to tell us that. I think we probably already knew that coming in, but it, um, it validated what we, what we believed and had talked about plenty in the weeks leading up to that. And then one more question for you here. Uh, The Red Sox are, and after winning on Tuesday night here, they are 8-0-3 in spring training. How much does this matter to you, Jake?
1: I think it matters a little bit, Um, especially for this being a team where the narrative has been so overwhelmingly negative. Um, I think that it matters for... Relationship building. There's a whole lot of new faces in this clubhouse. I mean, Casas is going to have a full time role. He didn't exactly get along swimmingly with the veterans last year, like we, uh, you know, talked about last episode. Turner's new. Yoshi's new. Verdugo's looking to prove himself. Kike wasn't really a huge part of this last year. I mean, there's a lot of um, meshing that needs to take place. And I think if these guys can have a really good spring and get some good vibes going that that can carry over to the season and you know i i think clubhouse chemistry is one of the most underrated aspects of this game you're with these guys more than you're with your own family and you're playing 162 um plus spring training and i mean these guys become your family so if uh they can create those good vibes now i think that's huge for the for the season i don't necessarily think it's predictive of wins and losses but I think for a team that's as volatile as the Red sox that um, this can only help um, get to the positive side of that volatility I think
0: I think that you hit on most everything there if they were if they were 8 and three um you know I mean you could I'm sure a year ago when they were under 500 uh you know whatever it's spring training so sure i've had some sort of hypocritical take but i think your point is well taken that there is a new group that's here and they're all kind of getting to know each other and i you know i do think that there is bringing in all of those ex-dodgers players who have been winners for their entire career i mean we heard kike being very vocal about how pissed off he was that this was the first season in whatever eight years that he had not played in the playoffs um and bringing in justin turner bringing kenley jansen uh chris martin who had been with the dodgers last year you know those are four ex-dodgers who have won a lot and they're all veterans and i think that there it's a different i think there are veterans that are no longer in the clubhouse and specifically xander bogarts that we wish were there and then there's other ones that it's probably for the best um you know, I agree with a lot of what you said there. That it's a new group and they're trying to kind of figure things out, and it cannot hurt. Certainly can't hurt. Probably just matters a little bit um, when they get swept by the Orioles. I'll be singing a different tune in four weeks. But um, you know. and Franchi
1: hits a grand slam. <laughs> Franchi's raking in the spring with the Orioles. Do you know that? You don't say.
0: <laughs> Who has he faced? A bunch of AAA pitchers in the sixth and seventh innings.
1: His his uh, quality of opposition is actually quite high, right? Really? Now. Um, so, yeah, he he's in one of his hot streaks. It means absolutely nothing. People go about your business. You know,
0: I'm I'm not shocked that Franchi is hot in March. To answer your question, <laughs> uh, but what is, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, and Detroit to open the season. So I think there's going to be a mm. lot of subpar right-handed pitchers that the Red Sox um, left-handers and really the whole lineup should be able to feast on. So hopefully that they can roll this undefeated record in the preseason into um, the first nine or ten games to just get out to a good start and hopefully keep those positive vibes going.
1: Three places that had roaring economies in the 1920s too. Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Detroit. Yep, there you
0: go all right Name the three rivers of three river stadium <laughs> twitter question tj mcfee uh, asks us hey guys who are the relatively unknown socks prospects who you see taking a big leap this year um i have a couple of thoughts and relatively unknown can be a really wide scale of unknown um you know lower levels or low in prospect rankings so take this however you'd like jake
1: Uh, I have three names, Uh, three names that came to mind when I thought about this. Uh, My first name and my highest ranked name um, was Elmer Cruz Rodriguez, a right-handed pitcher that the Red Sox drafted in 2021 and on the fourth round uh, out of Puerto Rico. I think he's got a lot of potential. Um, He's probably going to be starting at Salem this year. Uh, He's only 19 years old. I could see big things from him. you know, definitely a riser. Next guy uh, for me is Jedixon Paez, a uh, right-handed pitcher, also 19 years old, uh, international free agent in 2021. Uh, doesn't throw that hard, but you know, is, is a real pitcher. Uh, you can hear the Sox prospects guys wax poetically about um, the type of pitcher intelligence that he has. So if the stuff can tick up, I could see Paez really jumping in the rankings. And then the the third one that I'll give you is Frelia Encarnacion, um, one of the big hitters that they signed out of uh, the Dominican Republic uh, in 2021. Um, He's probably going to start at the FCL this year. I I would be shocked if he doesn't end up in Salem real quick, though. Um, Just a really good hitter, lots of power. He could be the next really big um, riser in terms of Red Sox hitters, um, the next sort of impact guy kind of like miguel blaze i don't think he's quite at that level but i think that he could be you know the next big hitter coming up
0: all right i like it and i i'm shocked that you didn't take either of my names so that's a win <laughs> there you go um i went with uh luis Perales, who um i thought was a hot take that i was going to be able to say would go you know way up the prospect rankings and I think on most prospect rankings that would be a hot take except Sox prospects has put him at 10 this year which was just um a meteoric rise which I don't disagree with but you know I love the uh you know what they went with there and and Perales who when he signed at 16 um I remember reading that he had like a mid to high 90s fastball that he was already kind of throwing on backfields and you know there was just different reports that came out early on in the pandemic and then you didn't really hear from him i think he threw two innings in 2021 um pitched a little bit more in 2022 at salem um well he was in um you know rookie ball and then at salem combined 35 innings but had some really good k rates he had 50 strikeouts in those 35 innings he had great eras and he tops out at 99 but has an advanced curveball and has just very good off-speed stuff like you know his changeup is developing and if he can develop a changeup you know he's just 19 but and he's probably going to start in Salem but he kind of just has all the tools and just an electric fastball that he has had since the age of 16 um that I would just I would love to see Perales kind of make a jump this year and maybe get even to double a um during his 20-year-old season. And then my other one is Ryan Fernandez, another arm and another hard-throwing arm. Kind of same thing. He throws 96 to 98, and he tops out at 99. But he is somebody who uh, I think you know we could see in the next year or so, potentially, as a reliever. I mean, you, you can throw a whole group in there between uh, Caleb Ort and Zach Kelly and some of the other arms that they've traded for. Um, that they did not let go in return for keeping, um, you know, in return for for Thad Ward being let go and um, all of that 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 happened around the Rule 5 draft. Um, But, you know, Fernandez could be in that group and throws hard and has a a good cutter and decent slider. And, um, you know, he got hurt kind of towards the end of the year, and I think that kind of sounds like that kept him from, maybe being known or uh, a team being willing to grab him in a rule five draft. So those are two arms of much different ages and potential. I think Perales has the potential as a starter and Fernandez is more of a reliever um, that I think could, could rise up this year.
1: Yeah, I think those are awesome names and I fully endorse everything you said with those two guys. And I also want to point out here that um, it's pretty cool that when we gave five names, four of them were pitchers. Yes, because that is just not something that we would have said with this system at any point over the last 10 years so that's great i agree
0: well said um anything else anything i'm forgetting jake we got through
1: it i don't think so i think uh you know we're just gonna keep our uh our nose to the grindstone here with uh spring training and you know, hopefully you guys get through it healthy. I uh, hope everybody out there enjoys the WBC. Uh, that gets started tonight as we're recording this. So that'll be fun. Get some early baseball. I know, Bob, you'll be you'll be focusing on that March Madness, but I, I hope you get to sneak in a couple games. Yeah,
0: I'm going to check in. And there's a, probably a better chance that I check in on some of those games that might have a, a wild atmosphere and, you know, the winner and the loser actually matters. I struggle with with preseason in really all sports you know i'm interested in the stories and but sitting and watching a preseason game of any sport uh you know it can be a grind sometimes so i'll be uh, i'll definitely be checking in on a lot of those games um you know in between commercials for the march madness so <laughs> all right you can follow me at uh, bob oz good 15 you can follow jake at dev jake uh and we've usually have keaton on he's at the spoken keats you can email us at redseatpodcast@gmail.com at gmail.com we've read an email question in each of the last couple episodes so please keep those coming and um, we're going to be back pretty much every week from here on out so we will talk to you soon